It's Friday night, everybody. You know what that means. It's Friday night. Let's have some fun. Let's get together and play a ton. I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're... Friday Night Games. <laughs> Told you, I'm never going to make it not awkward. <laughs> Friday Night Games, we are two board game enthusiasts who are both scared of AI-controlled spacecrafts or parasites or dead first captain or crazy captains or spatial anomalies. Pretty much, I'm just afraid of space. <laughs> I'm just afraid of everything. Yeah, don't send me to space. Actually, that's probably the best place to be right now. Yeah, I wish we could be out there. Uh, on today's show, we're going to highlight indie game studio, Man O Kent Games. We're going to be previewing slash reviewing the upcoming Kickstarter for SSO or SSO Mega. They currently have an expansion coming out on September 9th for Kickstarter, which is called Rage of the Montalbano. We're going to learn a little bit about Man O Kent Games from Glenn himself and we're probably going to geek out about deck builders because they make a pretty cool deck builder that we both like. I agree. I agree. Cool. So let's let's start it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about our relationship. So Mano Kent Games has graciously sent us a review copy of the Rage of the Montalbano expansion along with the full SS Omega game. Um, we are not paid for this effort and all opinions are ours. And we're going to try to be as unbiased as possible, but we love their games, so we're biased. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a cool note. Uh, we've we've had a, a long relationship with them for the last year. Yeah, pretty much since we started this whole endeavor. Yeah, they were one of the first people who entrusted us with uh, their game, Moonflight. Right. Although that was uh, a print and play. Mm -hmm. And when we did that, we had to cut out one million, <laughs> one million coin one million dollars <laughs> coin tokens <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of cards in black and white uh which were hard that the images were hard to see but they actually looked really nice yeah so when we we don't have fancy printers at all <laughs> so when we have to do print and play it's like black and white we're just like uh yeah this isn't this isn't fun for us but uh um, well my, my printer is from 1998 my wife refuses to let me buy a better printer, so it's like... <laughs> hey, if it still works. That's how my wife rolls. Yeah. Love you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, we really did enjoy playing Moonflight, and it, it translated well in the black and white, so... Yeah, it actually was perfect. Um, it, it just with our printers, the art was faded, so when we got the real copy, it looked a lot better, but yeah. different story. But we were grateful to play it, and um, we gave them very straightforward feedback. We didn't hold back. We said, this is what we didn't like, and this is what we had our time with. Yeah. And they responded right away, and I think they appreciated that from us. Yeah, and I think because of that, if you have the game Moonflight and you look in the playtester area, you'll see our names. I think it's pretty cool. So thank you, Glenn, for adding our names to the uh, instruction manual. Our names are there? Yeah. I didn't notice that. That's awesome. I gotta look at that. <laughs> Don't, isn't it your game? <laughs> yeah, but who goes to the back and reads the playtesters? No one reads the playtesters at the back. Uh, I did. And because we're awesome and create beautiful online content, uh, no plug there at all. <laughs> we like each other's stuff. Uh, they sent us the game to preview, and their Kickstarter is coming out on September 9th this year. 
Yeah, so check it out next week when it launches. Who is Mana Kent Games? Uh, so Mana Kent Games is located in the Kent County of the United Kingdom. Uh, it's actually a fun fact. Uh, we actually have a Kent County here in Ontario, Canada, where we live. Uh, but thanks to Google Street View, we can very much see that ours is not as beautiful as the UK Compar- in comparison. Yeah, it's stinky. Kent County, UK is known for Britain's only officially recognized desert. There's a desert in the UK? I, I guess so. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, has the Garden of England, the Canterbury Cathedral. James Bond's author was born there, so I guess the book started there. Uh, I don't know if he was born there, but yeah, he started writing the books there. Nice. pretty cool. Cliffs of Dover. Isn't that like a sweet metal song? It is, but you should see a picture of the Cliffs of Dover, though. They're pretty nice. And uh, the world's oldest horse fossil and why we're all here today, Mannequin Games. So in comparison, Kent County, Ontario is known for the a lot of farm farmland. Residents are Canadian hillbillies. More farms. There's two colleges that are in a different county. There's windmills, uh, eroding lake roads, even more farms, wheels in, and farming. Wheels in doesn't exist anymore. Does I know. It? <laughs> <laughs> it totally doesn't. But I had to put it in there anyway. Wheels in was like a staple when we were kids, but it's uh, like, I, never, I don't think I've ever been there though. Oh really? I went yeah. there. With my grandma used to take us there until it closed. But nice. that's the only thing I do about like Chatham Kent for like a long time. And <laughs> oh it's a- oh, and Chatham Kent, our lovely friend Kyle lives there. <laughs> <laughs> He's bored out of his mind, by the way. Uh, but Mannequin Games is Glenn Ford, uh, who helped design uh, Gaslands by Osprey Publishing and Planet Smasher Games, and his wife Jen, who knits by the sea, reviewing reviews games and handles all of the social media. So. Let's take a listen uh, to Glenn on how he got started into his indie company. Uh, well, I was going to a gaming club uh, in Canterbury, near where I live, uh, which is the same club that Mike Hutchinson uh, was going to when he first started development of the game Gaslands. Over time, uh, I was working on the playtesting. I was giving him more and more feedback and becoming more and more of a, a part of that game. Uh, until eventually I ended up being credited with uh, lead developer uh, on Gaslands. Now, around the time that it came out, Mike celebrated the arrival of the first of two little girls, which meant that it was ended up being my job to uh, run the stall a lot of these smaller conventions uh, around the country. Uh, basically, between uh, getting more and more involved, meeting more and more people in the industry... And having had such a central part in what ended up being an extremely successful game, I realized that I had uh, the capacity to be able to put together a a game myself. I decided to take the shot at designing something of my own from scratch. Now, I've never been the sort of person who's particularly suited to uh, pitching, putting myself forward. Um, I'm not a natural, uh, I guess, self-salesman. What I am is uh, a good organizer, and I've been always able to turn my hand to a lot of different things. Um, So it just seemed to be the easiest thing for me to set up my own company, produce my own games, um, and I set about trying to design something that would be easy to produce, um, easy to uh, distribute, and ultimately something that would uh, come across strongly on Kickstarter. And and based on that, uh, I set up Mannequin Games and I started designing SSO. 
He's not a nat. Oh, I didn't know he was a not a natural self salesman. I think that's pretty typical of any game developer. Yeah, maybe. So, I mean, that's cool. So we just kind of set up his Kickstarter to do it. Sometimes you just got to put it out there, right? Yeah. Successful twice. Twice. So maybe a third time, right? So Matt, let's dive into our playthrough of SSO. Okay, so SSO or SS Omega is a thematic game about a team sent to the SS Omega to investigate what happened on this space vessel. The key is, can your crew survive what happened on this space vessel? So every game of SSO consists of a team randomly selected space cadets who have different abilities that can help you survive. The game is broken down into three phases. The first is taking an action by drawing one more than your total crew controlled action cards, which decides where they are going to go to execute different crew actions. The second phase is survival and crew actions together. You must consume oxygen, which the ship has a limited general supply per crew member. If characters have zero morale, they die. If not with another crew member, also missions can fail or pass during this phase. Crew actions are carried based on the locations that each character happens to be at. And that includes gaining oxygen, going outside the ship, flipping powerless tiles power side up, boosting morale, helping beat missions, etc. Uh, the third phase is fighting the challenge deck and voting on missions to take. If all crew are dead, then you lose. If there are zero challenge cards in the challenge deck, you win. Each challenge card drawn will give a peril to your to your crew and activate a mission card when you missions pass and fail different things happen if they pass they can give bonuses such as remove more challenge cards from the deck making you on your way to win the game more easy or give you more oxygen or etc or maybe more morale if they fail your crews your crew will lose morale and probably lose oxygen or morale or sometimes they do crazy things like shuffle more cards back into the deck it really depends the whole game carries out over a set ship tiles they're just kind of like the game is always set up the same but the mission decks and the challenge deck change and then sometimes there's a little bit more extra areas added in so this game is fairly complex for being fairly simple uh what's cool about it is that the game even though you have like those set tiles uh for the ship the game is modular with the uh, sorry via the the challenge decks and missions um, and each one has a really cool sci-fi fitting to the game. So the, you know, the base game is really cool. It's kind of like a 2001 Space Odyssey. So it's uh, the players versus the AI computer. So as part of the story, the, uh, the captain of the ship died to stop one of the challenge cards from happening, right? Yeah, yeah he has an ability. Yes, so he has ability to do that. And then what's really cool, the first... Um, challenge deck is then the first captain comes back and he's trying to kill you um so he I, you know that's that's i think that was actually pretty pretty clever pretty clever yeah, yeah. It's cool um and then another uh deck is parasite so think of the movie alien uh there is a parasite obviously going on and you're trying not to get infected uh your crew infected i should say and then the new expansion uh rage of the montalbano um you gotta thought kind of think of uh the wrath of khan Star Trek. There is a uh, a ship that's uh, has uncloaked. There's basically another ship trying to attack your ship, right? And then uh, the temporal anomaly. Uh, you find a hole in space time continuum. Um, this one's actually pretty cool because you get to kind of cycle through all the other uh, previous missions, and uh, you're kind of just going crazy doing yeah. all these weird, cool things. So yeah, we actually played it right for this podcast, and 
at one point you're pulling out missions from every deck yeah we're like what <laughs> we're like uh it t- i think it took me longer to pull out the missions than it did for us to actually figure out what was going on but it was a really cool effect yeah and, and it's just cool like to bring bring all that together was, was nice on that note that's going to supposedly going to be released alongside um montalbano expansion um, and I don't know if they're going to have, I don't know if the Kickstarter is going to be with this Kickstarter or another one later on, but I'm actually excited for that one too. So what are our thoughts on when we played it? So what do you think? I mean, we, first of all, I don't want to spoil too much. The game is very discovery based. Uh, so by playing the challenge missions, you kind of move through the story and all that stuff. So we'll, yeah. we'll try to keep it spoiler free as much as we can. Right. Right. We might give you a little hints on the story, but other than that, you know, the, I think it shines because it is modular. Right. And and I played it without uh, reading through the missions or reading through the challenge decks. I just played it. It was very discovery for me. And when we played it, we did the same thing when we played uh, Montalbano together. Right. So Matt Matt's played the game a lot more than I have. So Matt Matt's done his research. I've I played only two times. But uh, but I played the two new the two newest uh, modules. Right, which were actually best fast one <laughs> <laughs> so and so it's a game where it gets better as it goes along yes um which which makes sense because the base game really eases you into it um against the ai computer you, you know the missions are more simpler but they're getting you used to how to play the game right so i played that one solo but solo or with someone else it's very the game is very similar which is cool because i started a game today Oh, when I came here today? Yeah. 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 So when I came in, Matt was playing. I was like, oh, let me join in. And it was like super easy for me to, to jump in because he was playing with four characters. I just took two. and But it was just like it was just like I started the game with him. Like I wasn't lost or anything at all. So Yeah, which, which I think is super cool because I was able to just play it and then be like, oh, John's here. Boom. Here's your deck. And you jump in. Yeah. It was awesome. And it was actually kind of cool because you were kind of being like, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> actually, with you there, I think it helped me out. Maybe because we get an extra card. But I, yeah. no, no, I think it was just because, like, it's hard to manage as a single player when you have four characters. So I was playing challenge mode all the time. Yeah. Um, which, so if you play story mode, that's you have six characters. If you play challenge mode, that's two less which means it's harder because you have less actions to do per round. Right. It's easier if you have two people managing the cards. So if you're managing the cards, I'm managing the cards, we can manage the cards together. If I have f- if I'm doing all five or four actions looking at five cards, I have to kind of sort all that out. It kind of gives me too many options. Right. But playing with a few more limited options kind of makes it easier to play. Yeah. Try and Cuz we each get uh, so when you're playing by yourself, you get five cards. Uh, yeah, exactly. And with the two of us, we get six. Yeah, perfect. But but I think but the limiting thing there, right? Like yeah. me getting three and you getting three is really it's like okay, I have three, so I don't have to keep like trying to overthink my actions. Yeah. So the new expansion, Rage of the Montalbano, uh, is where we think the game really shines. It's the story of the space captain Montalbano, who was a top graduate of his academy, and favorite for captain position of the Omega, but after a psychological testing. Indicated he was unfit. He decided to take control of Omega's sister ship, weaponize it, and claimed it to take uh, Omega by force. Con! The challenge uh, deck includes permanent location cards that gives extra challenge to the game. You will use a new added location card called the Shuttle, which was I really enjoyed that. 
or a new crew member, a spacewalk specialist to the board, these locations that could cripple the Omega. So let's talk about the expansion a little bit. It kind of added new locations and that made the game completely change. So the locations are drawn from the, and this is, this is not spoiling anything. You, you'll see it right when you read the instructions. Yeah. Um, you're drawing the locations from the deck and those go into play. And then those locations are like weapons. So they'll damage your solar arrays or they'll damage, you know, parts of the Omega. So the key is you have to send your people. So, so basically there's an airlock and the airlock is the access to the outside or to the shuttle. Right. So you need to get your crew members to that so they can get on the shuttle. So that the shuttle lets you, it was kind of lets you board anywhere. Yeah. It was super neat, right? We, we use it in a bunch of unique ways to get our missions to like beat our missions, but it helps you board that enemy spacecraft. And when you board the enemy spacecraft, you have to do crew actions to disable their spacecraft. Yeah. Cause there's certain things that you need to do. And I think what's cool with this game is when you're planning your moves, you really kind of have to think one step ahead a little bit and be like, cause when you, when you do your moves, you have to do it. Uh, each crew has like a rank, then you do your moves in that order. Right. So really have to choose like, who's going to do go here to do what, and see if like all the moves work themselves out, which I think is really cool. So there's a really cool cooperative uh, aspect to it. Yeah, they they say the game is um, also can be competitive. So there's like a scoring system at the end to determine the winner of the game. Uh, we didn't play like that. We played it mostly co-op, but I could see that being important um, just in case you play with people who uh, like to control the game. <laughs> Right, so I, I feel like that is a way to stop that, which is pretty cool. Um, I guess let me go through two small stories. So, the game is hard because mm -hmm. it presents you with some really challenging things. Um, when I played the original game, I had a mission that sent crew to all like, all my crew members had to be in separate arrays. So I did that, and then hilariously, I drew this card from the challenge deck. That said, destroy the air, like flip the airlock upside down, which means you can't go to it. So That's I actually fun. died. <laughs> All your crew members are floating out in space, eh? Yep. And then I'm like, well, I'm just going to take backsies this thing to keep playing. So that was my first game and I was playing in an easier mode. But even though it was an easier mode, the game is not, it's punishing. It can be punishing. Although it's also random too. Your game could be easier or hard depending on the cards you drew, to be honest. Yeah, and that's what's cool about it too. Like you're you're never really gonna play the same game twice, you know. Like they're yeah. the, they're the same mission cards and stuff like that. But I guess how you pull those challenge cards as you're going, right? And you're always cycling off challenge cards too as you complete missions. Yeah. Speaking of cycling challenge cards, we played Montalbano. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what we did. It. That we were just like flipping through those challenge cards like crazy. We played it on challenge mode which you only get four characters yeah we we destroyed it we yeah. really did but it was it was still really fun actually i that was the most fun i had um and as i was playing through so i played it in order too oh you started with the base game and moved your I, way up right? yep yep i noticed how much more fun i was having like even the first captain mission like like that that's where i i wanted you to bring that up because it's like hey the first captain i had him in the first game and he's like oh hey captain has the ability he he sacrifices himself to get rid of a challenge card <laughs> and then the next mission is like you thought the you thought the first captain was dead <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to kill you i'm like whoa so i thought that was pretty cool and then in that module i had a mission 
which seemed impossible. It was basically like you have to end the game at using, I'm not going to say the condition, but you had to end the game on this condition. And I'm like, this is impossible. <laughs> There's no way I could do this, but I actually did it there on go. challenge mode. I was just like getting there. I just like, you have a very good feeling of satisfaction when you get there. Yeah, and I, I I felt that today when we played because like when I got there, you're like I'm dead. Like we're not gonna do this, <laughs> and we somehow worked it all out. And uh, you know we we were able to manipulate our characters to do the things that we need to do in the right right order. Just sort of just happened. Yeah, and we're like, hey, we we did it. But I I think I think what Glenn was really trying to focus on was that was us being discouraged partway through the game, where you're like, this is impossible. Yeah. So when you think about like like the space theme. And like being trapped on a ship, like you want to feel, you want to feel that ang- that anxiety or that you know, like fear of doom or something. <laughs> like, yep. Like if you think about the first Alien movie, that movie freaked me out. Right. Like but... you don't you don't see the alien hardly ever, mm-hmm. but you know it's there. You know it's gonna pop out at some point, and then you know the famous scene where it's like. <laughs> Yeah, and then you're just you're anticipating this. By the way, just, John just threw his arms up yeah. at me. <laughs> um, you're anticipating this, like you're on the edge of your seat action. Thrill. It's a thrill. Time, it's a thriller. Right? Yeah, and the whole game is. I yeah. guess yeah. I guess it does actually capture that that moment of thrill. Right, and you know, and, it, and there, there's there's a lot there's a lot of movies that do that well, and I think this game really made me feel that. You know, I I didn't play it nearly as much as you did. But like the, the two times I played, I was like, okay, like I feel that tension. Like, okay, we go, we have to, we have to beat these missions somehow, and we have to figure this out together. Yeah, I, ah, there's, there's, there's more I want to talk about. That was impressive. <laughs> I'm not going to mention it because, because there's stre- like to beat some of the uh, mission decks, you kind of have to strategize, and I did, and some, and I like I had to think through a strategy to win on two of them, and it worked. Nice. And so I'm not going to say what I did because it'll just ruin the game for you. And that's why I say it's discovery, right? right? You you play through, you see the missions, and you're like, oh, that's super cool. Or like, whoa, what? what, what I, you just get discouraged. You're like, how am I supposed to do this? And then you have to, then you, you know, the thrill or the edge of your seat starts kicking in and you start thinking about ideas on how to finish it. So I really like that aspect. I take it you liked this game. Yeah. So who should buy this, John? You tell me. Well, me. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah if if you're a person that loves space thrillers or challenging co-op games this definitely is going to be for you but the game isn't for everybody the game is indie and gives off that uh 80s sci-fi vibe you know star trek or aliens you know the game would lack some polish from non-indie games but there are a lot of rules and abilities that can be slightly daunting at first which is kind of like how i felt when i jumped in on uh whatever day we played it we kind of we kind of played really like oh yeah there was yeah there there was a (laughs) yeah so it was good that i was the rules manager yeah so you need to have someone who's going to dedicate a good hour and a half to reading the rules i actually thought the rules look scary but there's just a lot of them because there's a lot of questions right as you play through yeah so if you're looking for you know the the indie experience with with a cool concept and it's fun to play and it's packable and it's a co-op game and it shout sci-fi thriller that we just mentioned in the last part then the game is obviously for you um, but it, the game, you know, you were saying earlier, it has flaws. And one of the flaws, being an indie game, nothing's perfect. I mean, even being like a big game, nothing's perfect. But it is susceptible to game controllers, meaning one person might be wanting to control the whole game for me and you, and, and, and that is an issue. But they do have the semi-co-op rule 
that uh, gives points to players at the end of the game. And if you really hate the game controller, you can really try to mess him up. Because <laughs> you don't have to tell him what you have in your hand. You can just lie to him. Right. <laughs> and you point out that you actually won at the end. So that would do. So I know since you were learning the game for, for us to play, you played a lot of games solo. How'd you feel about that? I liked it a lot, yeah. Um, the game takes a little bit of time to learn. But once you get in it, you can finish a game in 40 minutes. Yeah, With I, one or two players, to be honest. Yeah, because I noticed like, that was one of your things you were saying. Like, hey, I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to learn it. And then once I came into play, you're like, bam, this is how you play. And I was like, okay. It's actually pretty easy. Oh, it's super It's just, you know, trying to figure out your strategy and kind of... Right. And, and it's funny because the reference cards, there's a lot of steps to each round. And the reference cards have them, but once you understand how it works, it, you can fly through it really quickly. Right, and that's what I and that's why when you're in the game with me, I'm like, okay, adjust this, adjust that. I'm just like making sure everything's going fast. Right, and I think that could be daunting to some people who aren't into the complexity of a game. But solo, I had a lot of fun, and I actually had a lot of fun learning, so it didn't even matter. Right, and when I went to go teach it, it was actually really easy to teach. So when I did teach it to you, I was like, oh, you got into it right away. And you could obviously I threw a lot, so maybe like the first two rounds, you're like, Matt, I don't know, I don't really know, and I'm like, we'll just play around. Oh yeah, because we played open handed the first two rounds. We right? did, yeah. and then so how long did it take you to, to catch on after like I was explaining? Two rounds, yeah, I think exactly. Yeah. So and that, and that's what I thought. That's actually what I loved about the game. You know, it was complex to learn, but once I taught it, it was super easy to follow. Nice. Um, and I totally recommend it. I think, like I said, the game the game length doesn't really change on the number of players with playing by myself was actually just as I think it was actually slower than playing with you. <laughs> so I, I don't know if like four players might be a lot and could be, you get less, um, shipmates. So you get less crew members. So I don't know. So you said this game launches on Kickstarter on September 9th. So what makes this the best version of this game? The original version was already kickstarted. They corrected all their issues. So first things first, the instruction manual to the old game sucked. I was actually reading it, and I could not understand how the game was played right. to the point where it aggravated me. And then I went on the internet, and I'm like, oh, they had this instruction manual. And then I realized the instruction manual I thought was Rage of the Montalbano was actually the new instruction manual, and it is phenomenal. So once I read through that, I understood everything clearly. All the examples were amazing. It made complete sense. But the first version was just, it was almost like it was open to, to interpretation. Like, here's a, play, a sandbox, figure it out. Yeah. And I could not figure it out the life of me. But they changed that. They took some feedback and they said, okay, we're actually going to make, you know, the rule sets and everything so that you know how to play. And they did an amazing job of it. And the instruction manual is actually one of the better instruction manuals that I've read nice. for games. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And you read all the instruction manuals, so <laughs> I'll take <laughs> Yeah, if there's one thing that we can contribute to that board game community, it's my instruction manual reading. And that's why we play every game wrong. <laughs> um, so I noticed that I knew that when we got the game that the counters we got in the game weren't in the original one. Yeah, so they upgraded the, the counters to these little dials. Before, you you had on the card, they had the oxygen and the morale that you'd adjust. The, like, you're, you had this little circular thing you put over. And it was actually really hard to read it. So the dials are actually phenomenal. Right. It's, it was a game changer. Because I actually played the first game with the, the counters, and it wasn't as good. But once I got the dials on my hand, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Nice. Way easier. And those track your uh... oxygen and morale. For each character, yeah. There's meeples with the new game. I actually thought I liked the old school circular things. I like the tokens? Yeah, I like the yeah. tokens better, but it didn't matter to me. I mean, the meeples are cool. 
Like they're those little astronauts. Yeah. Different colors. The thing that I think you have, like, if you're gonna, if you, you know, if we're convincing you to buy the game, and you're gonna do it, you need to buy all the modules. I agree. Well, I w- I would say the game really shines with each challenge deck. And you played it like in succession, right? So and you just said like got better and better with each one and you had more fun as you more, went along. Not only was it better, it got more clever. Nice. Right? So, you know, the first one, the very base game, and, and every base game gets you through it. But the thing is, like with a normal expansion, right? They're like, We're gonna add in all these rules. You have the base game plus a million rules. With this it wasn't like that. With this it's like we're taking out this component. You're no longer against the AI computer. You're now against the first captain. And everything the first captain did, missions and challenge deck, you could understand because you you played through the first deck. Nice. The uh, the new expansion, Rage of the Montalbano, um, added in a whole new area. Like here's this new location, but it was very easy to understand. You just knew that I get on the shuttle because the way all the cards have all the crew actions on it. You get on the shuttle and it says move to this location. So at first when I read it, I had no idea how the shuttle was played. But the minute I got another location, I'm like, oh, I get on this. It moves automatically to this lo- to any location I want. Using that, I can board anything. And that became like a new strategy. And you just, because it just, it's not like I need to learn like a whole new section of rules. You know, when you play Everdell, you get an expansion. You're like, oh, here's playable powers. And you got to read all about the playable powers. That adds another component onto the game. This expansion was like, let me take out the base component and put in another base component. And what I liked about just like looking at it visually, like when you're getting the modules, the cards are only just, it's a small deck of cards. It's not like a hundred cards you're getting. Right. And I think that's a huge difference. And so like, if you're going to buy SS Omega, you definitely need the modules, hands down. And I think the modules made the game. If it was just the base game, I wouldn't be as excited about it than now that I played through everything. We re- we really wish that we were able to actually have Glenn on our podcast live with us today, but we live in two different uh, countries and our schedules are really hard to line up, mostly on our end. We did ask Glenn to uh, tell us what his inspiration for SSO was, so let's listen to what he said. There's a huge amount of uh, sci-fi pop culture crammed into yeah, SSO. Uh, personally, I was brought up on British comic uh, 2018, and there are a lot of references, um, very obscure references to that, buried uh, into the game in things like the movement cards. Um, but throughout the game, uh, throughout the location cards, there are references to everything from Star Trek uh, to silent runnings to Alien. The specific uh, inspiration, the moment that gave birth to SSO, though, is in the Danny Boyle film, Sunshine. Uh, It's a sci-fi where a ship is sent to fire a bomb into the sun to restart it. Um, And there's a point where, due to a miscalculation on the part of the ship's mathematician, the ship's captain has to go outside the ship to uh, realign the solar sails and gets killed in the process. The pressure of the uh, failure of that communication that the mathematician feels sends him into a sort of uh, suicidal depression. Uh, Now, at a later point in the film, the crew find themselves having a discussion where they realise that they don't have enough oxygen in the ship to complete the mission, a mission on which the whole of mankind depends. But if there was one fewer crew member 
taking up oxygen, um, then they would be able to complete the mission. They have to have this conversation where they decide whether to take the mathematician off the sedatives that keeping him from killing himself and just leaving him alone with a sharp object or letting the mission fail. Getting people to try to have that conversation at some point, that was the core of what I was trying to do with SSO. Um, by building a co-op game, but where not all the players have to win, it means that someone can actually sacrifice themselves for the good of the other players. Uh, it doesn't mean that players can betray each other, um, and that does attract a certain sort of player, but in honesty, unless you're in exactly the right place at the right time and you're really genuinely deceiving your actual friends, betrayal in SSO will pretty much just result in everyone dying. It's much more often that players realise that someone, or in fact almost everyone, won't make it. And they have to decide who gets to win today and who loses. In the end, as a designer, that's really the only genuine sacrifice that I can ask of you, to lay down your chance at victory for your friend. Uh, for board games, it's hard to pin down every influence. As a designer, I think you should be playing and taking little bits from every game that you come across. Um, but certainly Pandemic was a big one. Um, in the end, SSO is a deck-driven co-op game. Uh, and I think that, you know, Pandemic is, is one of the giants in that respect. Um, there were times throughout the design of SSO where I was wondering you know, should I fix this issue or that issue, which were ultimately issues with co-op games themselves. And the sort of touchstone phrase I kept telling myself was, if it's a problem that Pandemic suffers from, then it's a problem I'm happy to own. Uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill was uh, another influence. as a survival horror uh, board game experience, first of all. Um, there's always an issue with survival horror where you have to answer why the hero doesn't just leave. Why not just walk away from the big spooky house? Um, answering that question is part of why it's a lot easier to have SSO set on a spaceship. You can't just walk away if you're in the middle of space. Um, secondly, betrayal has that tendency to just take your legs right out from under you without warning during play because it's what worked for the story. And it doesn't apologize for doing that. Um, there is a certain amount of that in SSO. Sometimes SSO just just crushes you and just goes, yeah, th th this is how it is. This is what's happening. Um, I, I, to be honest, actually, I think that SSO a lot of the time is is more forgiving than betrayal uh, in that respect. It, it does give you a chance to to come back from at least one really bad thing happening. Um, uh, the last obvious uh, board game inspiration would be Dead of Winter. Um, the way that in that game you're not any one of your single characters you're the you play the group that those characters represent uh, that's clearly uh there in sso where you're not any single one of your crew members you are a, a, a collection of crew members the individual crew members are there to die and be sacrificed potentially for the greater good I really like how he talks about how he like it seems like he picks a very specific mechanic. He tries to incorporate that suspenseful thing into his game. You know, I I recorded a video for Instagram um, today, the day that we're recording this, and just like when I think about how someone who is able to create 
a tabletop game and design it, just the amount of things that you have to think of to work well into a game that's going to tra sorry translate well onto the table and have that work like that's just it's so creative and it blows my mind that people can do that well like look at the many games that we have and that we've played and like uh, it's just it's, it amazes me so like to be able to draw inspiration be like that would really work really well in this game and manipulate it enough to make it your own it's really awesome yeah it's super it's um madness and ingenious at the same time <laughs> <laughs> nice cool so you know they're Mannequin Games isn't just about their games. They, you know, Jenny Knitting by the Sea reviews games. Um, he he's made other games for their companies, and it was interesting. Uh, so another really good podcasting group. We're not wizards. Uh, they may have a, they run a really good podcast. I think they're out of Britain. Um, they actually mentioned that they they said on Twitter once they're like, so we, we follow Mannequin Games, and I and I always like like to read the people I follow stuff. And so when I have like a podcast I follow and a designer I follow interacting, I like to read it. So we're not wizards said, uh, shame to see another two kickstars from first time developers cancel in many days, great ideas, fun games. And yet Kickstarter is all about the big guys now. So first of all, I kind of agree with that. <laughs> How do you feel about that, John? Uh, I mean, it depends. I think, I think yeah, a lot of big game or big game companies are going to Kickstarter as like a quote unquote pre order and it's just easy sales for them. Um, while indie games, you know, there's a lot that we've played and people that we've talked to that have been successful on Kickstarter. Right, which which okay, so Mano Kent had an answer to this. Yes. And they said they have to disagree. They're like, we have to disagree. We're a tiny company, and we have luckily funded both times. It's difficult balance between needing big companies to keep traffic up on Kickstarter and keeping it good for little companies. It's always a shame when someone cancels, but that is a complicated issue. Yeah, but I think my opinion on this is if, you, if you're if you a smaller company, especially if it's your first time getting on Kickstarter, you have to be very realistic with your funding goal. You know... I've seen games that have had, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollar funding goal. I don't know who you are. Like, I feel like the hundred thousand dollar funding goal companies are ones that have got their name out there already. Right. Like, and I can understand like, yeah, there's games I've seen that, that are, have huge production value, tons of like miniatures and, and whatnot. But at the same time, like I've seen games that are very small and equally as exciting and have just like that, you know, $7,000 yeah. funding goal, right? And like, I, and for me, I backed a lot of games this year. And I specifically choose games that like, I know I'm not going to pay an arm and a leg for. And I look for that smaller funding goal. Unless it's like from a company that like, hey, I really want this game. You know, like... Um, like Manokan Games. Like Manokan Games, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, but like, I want everybody who makes a board game to make their board game dream come true. You're an optimist. You want everyone to succeed, and 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 you have to you have to have your mar your marketing there, your social media has to be up, and all that stuff too, right? Like, it's a big it's a big big pot you have to stir in order to get your your stuff funded. I I'm no expert. I've never fun tried to fund anything on Kickstarter, but this is just my opinions. Being on Kickstarter, 
purchasing games, right? I also think talking with other indie developers, like we know a couple of people have been successful, yeah, and they they were successful because they had smaller goals, right? Right? You know, you're lesser known, have a smaller goal, right? And it's and sometimes a bigger goal is hard to fund. I, I feel like if you if you really want to listen, like ten grand is like your your goal <laughs> for a smaller company, and usually that's easier to fulfill. Yeah. So we asked Glenn. Um, to give us an answer why they were successful, and he, and he did. So let's give that a listen. I think partly because I design games to be successful on Kickstarter. Now, that might sound a sort of circular thing, but like most designers, I have a shelf or two of prototypes and a huge list of ideas uh, for games that I'm most likely never going to get around to developing. Um, all the designs have upsides and downsides. Some are features that are easy to get across and sell on Kickstarter, and some don't. It doesn't make those other designs bad games, but it makes them bad choices for a Kickstarter launch. Now, as a designer, I have a totally free choice on what to design and why and how. But as a producer, as a marketer, as a logistics manager, I'm stuck with the decisions that I made as a designer. I just try to always have in mind as a designer trying to make those jobs that much easier mainly because i'm a better designer than i am a marketer so i try to let myself off down the line by working harder at the thing that i think i'm good at um i mean sometimes i do see small first-time designers launch on kickstarter with a game that almost looks designed to make sell it on kickstarter hard work and i i can never quite understand that sso is designed to be a low-cost cheap to ship highly narrative game um all of which are very helpful for for funding a kickstarter moonflight was designed off the back of a unique take on a very popular genre the deck builder but i didn't really start designing moonflight until i had a clear idea for a theme and a world that would allow me to put up some artwork some some world building that would give it that boost on Kickstarter. I have ideas that would be hard sells for Kickstarter, and, and they're for next year or the year after that, when I can start selling without Kickstarter, or if I get in a position to collaborate with um, other designers, collaborate with publishers. But until then, I'm going to be making my life as easy as possible. In the end, I feel like there are three general parts of a funded Kickstarter. It's a game that's a clear and easy sell, a page that presents it well, and the social media and advertising that drive people to that page. I think I've been successful because I've done the first of those parts in a way that makes the other two easier. And slowly, hopefully, I'm starting to get a bit better at those other two parts. You know, I'm going to have to kind of agree with what Glenn said, like, it's like he does a lot of the things for mannequin games, right? So he's the designer. He is the producer, the marketer. Like he, he has to make all those decisions logically because, you know, I'm sure there's a game he really, he's created that he really wants out there. But like he said, he's got to make sure that it'll fit well for that general audience that's on Kickstarter. And he's got to catch their eye on all the other social medias too right so yeah he really sums it up well the game has to be clear and easy to sell the page has to present it well and social media and advertising drive people to that page right 
you know, and he says he's been successful because he just does the first thing right and then makes the other two easier. So I, I kind of see that completely. It's a very good point. I think, you know, Glenn does a lot of things good and right. And, you know, I, I was so happy when Moonlight was successful because I remember, like, we played that game and I just I remember we were sitting there and we're like, holy shit, <laughs> this game is phenomenal. And, and it's funny because he actually termed it in that in that last segment that he says it was a unique take on deck builders. And it was, it's still a unique take on deck builders. <laughs> it's still like, you know, like nothing, I don't know, maybe there's something out there, but I haven't seen it. I haven't heard about it. No one talks about it. And I play that game and, you know, let's geek out about it for a minute here. Yeah, well, because we, <laughs> yeah, because we, like, when we played Moonflight, I think we had just played Dominion. Yeah. We had which is a classic. Dominion's classic. really good. It's a classic. We played Annihilageddon, which got me into the DC deck building game. Like we were playing a lot of deck builders, like in a short amount of time. We played Ascension. We you know, I played uh Shards of Infinity. Yeah. And like and then we get this game on the table that we, I don't know, we printed and then just like playing it. And what's cool about Moonflight, it has this 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 mechanic in the game where once once a player's uh mark there's like a market obviously like most deck builders once a player's market is cleared and they can no longer draw from the market deck the supply deck supply deck there's a thing called the turn and then basically everyone turns their card so that it's like a another text you have to read and then you have to unbuild your deck but every care every card you play has a different way of doing that Every and, every deck has a different yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So there are, there's there's four jacks that you're playing with, and each one is a different way of unbuilding the deck. And you know when we played last night or last week, I was I was like, yeah, I'm going to be really good at this game. <laughs> I'm I'm getting all these all these cards I need, and then I turn around and like those cards actually like Hurt screwed you. me over, <laughs> and I had a really hard time unbuilding my deck. And like if I just would have read the instructions. <laughs> <laughs> it actually says like you need to really watch what you're doing that i had way too many cards in my hand right. right and and i think the cool again you know glenn hit another discovery game moonflight is a discovery game you you have to discover the deck mm-hmm. and when i played it so when i first got it i'm like i was excited to play it so i opened it up me and you played the two uh first jacks and the two i didn't play so i took one of the jacks i didn't play and there's a there's a really cool solo mode. It's just you versus the game. Um, you just remove like you have like sixteen coins, and you just remove a coin every time you do every time you do a round. And so I just like I use that to kind of figure it out. Although I still didn't. I was actually playing your deck. I still didn't figure it out that well. But then once you played it, and you're like, I'm having a hard time. I'm like, oh, I see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I knew it, like I there's a couple key cards that you have, and I'm like, oh, you need to use those key cards. To do something very specific. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I see. So I really like that. I really like the discovery aspect of Moonflight. And and the fact that everything turns around. And it has like a cool mechanic to build up your deck. And then a cool mechanic to build down your deck. Yes. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, like, Moon, I like Moonflight. I like deck builders in general. So, And that is a very, very unique, very unique take on it. I'm not sure why Glenn chose us for that. I'm assuming it had to do with the fact that our social media was full of deck builders <laughs> <laughs> for like a month. I'm just I'm just glad that we've created that relationship and we're able to to play this game as well. I had a really good time playing the game twice. I am going to steal it from you so I can play all the modules. 
Absolutely. So if you're listening and you really like what you hear, uh, we just want you to know that the SSO Rage of the Montalbano expansion is going to be hitting Kickstarter on September 9th, which is next week. And you can check out Mano Kent Games at manokentgames.com or their Twitter, which is manokentgames1 or Instagram, which is manokentgames. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt, uh, for teaching me how to play SSO. Thank you for reading all the rules for all the games ever. I hate reading rules. <laughs> You're welcome. So anyway, so thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or hit that follow button on your favorite streaming platform. Is there a game you'd like for us to check out and talk about? Or have you created a game you want us to preview it on our podcast? Let us know by emailing us at info at fridaynight.games. And don't forget to check us out on our social media uh, on Instagram at FridayNightGames underscore official or on Twitter at FridayNightGMS. And of course, you can always check out our website, FridayNight.Games. And check back every Friday for our new episode. And remember, it's Friday night and let's have some fun. <laughs>